everybody, and welcome to This Week on Point North. I'm Alistair Stevens. It is Monday morning. It is January the 22nd, Monday afternoon, I suppose, if you are watching this in the Eastern time zone or places across the distant eastern edge of this world, then that's fine. You've already advanced into Monday afternoon. You've leveled up. Thank you. You've already conquered the first half of Monday and thereby made it easier for the rest of us who follow in your wake as ever. Just intrepid adventurers all. It's wonderful to be with you again for another week. It's been a riotous weekend here. Um, I'm in some ways running a little behind schedule, and in some ways I'm way ahead of schedule. I've had to reorganize a lot of things on the back end this weekend, so I've... Uh, I've already prepped for tomorrow's uh, Dear Mr. Potter session. I've got most of my prep done for Thursday's There and Back Again session, which almost never happens by by this point in the week. But it's uh, it's good to be ahead. And of course, I'm behind, therefore, with other things. Domestic uh, situations have required me to uh, to do some some last minute rearrangements. So uh, everything will be fine. Everything will be you know as predicted as planned for the actual broadcast schedule, which we'll get into in just a moment. But um, it is interesting to sometimes look at the week from an entirely different perspective. I'm now in a very kind of reactive, I suppose, in some senses, kind of kind of spontaneous creative place, I suppose, is where I am. I was supposed to send out the first patron-exclusive newsletter this weekend and uh, just didn't have time to finish that. So I'm going to finish that this afternoon and get that sent out with some thoughts on <laughs> with some thoughts on venturing carefully into a controversial space, with some thoughts on on weighing in on an established discourse. Basically, this is in the context of the upcoming story in Star Wars lecture on The Last Jedi, which will be available uh, within the next two days. I, I think Wednesday at the latest. If all else fails, then my schedule opens up on Wednesday and I'll be able to finish that then. Um, and it's interesting to kind of look ahead at my contribution to a discourse which, as I say, is already established, has already kind of become entrenched. And I've gone through this process a few times in the past, not least of all with previous Star Wars uh, experiences, you know, talking about The Force Awakens or talking about Rogue One and certainly talking about The Last Jedi. And for all I know, talking about every Star Wars movie between now and the heat death of the universe, I kind of have this sense that that sides have already been taken, that lines have already been drawn, that that there is a common consensus and that controversial reactionary consensus too, which is in some senses sincere and in some senses insincere and designed to uh, to promote views and to promote ad clicks and all of that, that fine, fine, you know, internet economy of things nonsense. Um, and it's always difficult to kind of weigh in because you want to be, I want to be somehow definitive. I want to make a statement that that will stand, that will endure, that will address all of the major criticisms, all of the major talking points associated with any given film. It's true too of, you know, when I do a, a one-shot, I kind of want to be definitive within that space. When I do any kind of podcast, I want to be definitive. I want to say what there is to be said about that text. And that's difficult when the controversy is as well established as it is. And my pattern for all of these experiences has been pretty much the same. I will sit down and try to address the discourse as it stands in that moment and then throw out almost all of that stuff and kind of purify my response down to something more immediate, more personal, more more anchored in the text, more anchored in first principles. And of course, this is taking place in the context of an ongoing discussion over on the Point North Forum, pointnorthmedia.com slash forum about death of the author and about the ways in which our our desire to place narrative primacy upon the text rather than upon the autobiographical detail or autobiographical perspective or, you know, authorial diktat of all of these various creators, the ability to, the desire to put the primacy on the text itself liberates us in so many ways, but can also limit us. It's it's interesting that once you get to like the furthest side of death of the author, you can find it interestingly limiting. So, I'm thinking big and heady thoughts about death of the author and about textual primacy and about our our critical approach uh, within this space. And 
feeling pretty good about it, honestly. Continuing to feel pretty good about it, even if uh, my week is now just just riotously, uh, just riotously weird. Um, so, so Sundari says in the Crowdcast chat, I have found a little substantive criticism on the the Last Jedi controversy. I do agree that, like any movies, there are flaws and differences of opinions, but most of the hate seems of little value. I am inclined to agree. I do think there are legitimate. There are, see, even legitimate is a weird word to use in this space, right? There are valid criticisms of The Last Jedi, which I have seen and read and digested. Some of them I find myself broadly agreeing with, some of them broadly disagreeing with, some of them dismissing out of hand. I do think that there are, are, from a textual narrative perspective, valid criticisms of The Last Jedi. But yes, most of the response, the, the men's rights activist response, the this is not the Star Wars of my youth, this is not the story that I wanted, this is one of the, the sticking points that I've had, right? This, this is what was for a long time going to be like the, the introduction to the Last Jedi uh, lecture that, I, that I'm planning. And now I think is not going to be. I, I will give this address at some point, but it's not going to be soon and probably not even in the context of the Last Jedi. But one of the things that I've been thinking a lot about is the virtue of criticizing a piece of, of media, a story, a piece of art in the broadest possible sense for what it is and trying very hard not to criticize it based on what it isn't. The fact that The Last Jedi has a strong narrative core, the fact that it has a voice, the fact that it has an opinion, these are all good things, whether or not you like the movie. Like, I don't think that, that its vision and its ambition are in any way negative. Now, of course, the immediate response to that is, well, yeah, okay, it's got a bold vision, but it's not a vision I want. It's not a voice that I want to hear. It's not a perspective that I'm interested in at all. And in that case, cool, go make your own movie, I suppose is the response, right? You can't critique things. You can't critique art based on what they are not. That seems to be an utterly an utterly self-diminishing cycle of arguments, right? It's a cycle of arguments that is still very tempting, though. So I do understand, you know, falling into that trap. And goodness knows I've done that before myself. I've been frustrated because... <laughs> I talked before about the about my response to Star Trek First Contact, which is one of my favorite Star Trek films, right? This is the the Borg time travel uh, next-gen First Contact uh, story. Um, I, I like that film quite a lot. There are things that I desperately do not like about that film, but there are things that I really like about First Contact. And then I ruined it for myself by imagining that we had introduced Captain Sisko when, when the Defiant is destroyed right at the beginning of the movie as an excuse to get Worf back aboard the Enterprise because it's still a next-gen movie. After all, I wanted Benjamin Sisko there. I wanted Benjamin Sisko to be playing the role that Lily plays throughout the course of the movie where she is pushing back against Picard and his obsession, right? She's the one who's engaging with the Moby Dick metaphor at the heart of First Contact. And I wanted that to be Benjamin Sisko. And for the longest time, I kind of felt that I had ruined that movie for myself because the version of that story now in my head was so much better than the version of that story on the screen. And that is illegitimate. That is invalid criticism. You can speculate about what that story would be like, but you can't use that as a stick to beat the existing movie. I, th I don't think that it's in any way legitimate to criticize art based on what it is not. All of this is to say that I'm working hard on The Last Jedi Lecture, you guys. I'm really looking forward to the discourse that will arise from that and the way that this will integrate into the existing discourse around this movie, which has actually spawned, like, as, as difficult as it can be to talk about Star Wars in a public space, particularly, you know, in 2018, um, I think that 
there has been a lot of very insightful, very trenchant criticism surrounding it. And, and when I say criticism, I don't just mean negative criticism, I mean critical discourse surrounding The Last Jedi. There's a lot of really great stuff out there on the internet, most of which I've avoided so far. I've skimmed a few articles and, and you know, I wanted to formulate my response before I delve deep into that, but I've already had you know, emails from listeners and, and uh, tweet links and all kinds of things kind of crop up in my feed that makes me think that no, actually there's some really good critical discourse taking place in the context of this film. And I'm hoping to add to that in the course of the next couple of days. Let's take a look um, as, I, as I catch up here in the chat. Uh, yes, uh, Mitchell saying, I can't wait to hear your views on Luke's portrayal. <sighs> There's good and bad, right? There's... Mm. There's good and bad, but it's shaking out for me as I kind of interpret the movie more and more toward the greater good. And again, I, th I think that The Last Jedi is a movie which is aiming to do for this third trilogy what Empire did for the second trilogy, I suppose, in a way, in that it doesn't just give us a narrative hook. It doesn't just reframe the conflict it also fundamentally changes our understanding of, of what this story is about, actually, right? Like, at its heart, what is this story about? And there's a strong argument that, that particularly that midpoint turn in Empire changes our understanding of the original trilogy of Star Wars in that it refocuses the conflict from the Republic and the Empire, uh, from, from the Rebels and the Empire, excuse me, to, to light and dark, to Luke and his dad, to Luke and the Emperor, I suppose. You know, there's, there's minor spoilers, I suppose, for Luke and his dad. Um, here in the year of our Lord 2018, I could just spoil casually one of the turns of The Empire Strikes Back. Um, and I think that The Last Jedi is doing something very similar and doing something very powerful in that space, but is also reflexively changing our understanding of the entire Star Wars saga, right? From, from The Phantom Menace on, I feel like our understanding of what goodness is and what virtue is, and certainly explicitly textually what heroism is, all of these things have changed. And as well, of course, for nerds like me, really reframing what the force is. I think that the discourse on the force, the force discourse would also have been a very good title for my story in Star Wars podcast. Um, the, the the commentary, the, the investigation into the assertions that are made about the nature of the Force sits very nicely, very nicely alongside everything that we've seen from the Phantom Menace and, and Qui-Gon Jinn's assertions about the living Force and midichlorians and all of that stuff all the way through the original trilogy, all the way out now to this new trilogy. I'm very excited. Uh, broadly, extremely positive on The Last Jedi is where I come down with some, yeah, some, some substantial narrative structural criticisms, most of which I think people have... Uh, Yes, yes. Um, Aaron's asking, Luke didn't actually read through all those sacred texts, right? I got the impression just from his expression. I don't want to get into that because mm, the other character who showed up in that scene, somehow I had completely avoided being spoiled before I sat down in the movie theater and it was fantastic. So I don't want to, we'll, we'll talk about that. Yes, yes. Another time, another time within the next couple of days, in fact, stay tuned for story and Star Wars. Let's take a look though at the rest of our week this evening. I should say also, by the way, just to give a little context, if I sound a little frantic, if I sound a little, you know, a little more, uh, a little more caffeinated even than usual, it is because we have this, this, tempestuous wind blowing through Oklahoma City right now, and it is rattling stuff out on the porch right behind where you guys are sitting, in your mythical bleachers here, right on the other side of my camera, right behind you, out on the porch. Things are being 
blown about and banged about. So I'm kind of keeping a weather eye on the weather, as it were. And I'm hoping that I don't lose either power or internet connection. That would be very, very bad because, as I say, I've got a lot to get through this week. This evening, I'm launching into my third session in the Between Worlds class. If you have registered for the Between Worlds class, you should already have received your class link. We're going to talk about the Elizabethan perspective on fairy and folklore and fantasy. We're going to be glossing, glossing Edmund Spencer's The Fairy Queen. We're certainly not diving into what is one of the longest pieces of extant poetry in the entire English language. It's phenomenal, but we don't have time to do a, a, even, even a shallow dive into the Fairy Queen. We're going to gloss the Fairy Queen and look at its its effect on contemporary pop culture, I suppose, back at the beginning of the 16th century. And then, of course, we're also going to look at William Shakespeare's A Midsummer Night's Dream, which I can't wait to dive into that. We're going to dive into in some depth. So if you are already a student in the Between Worlds class, that will be happening this evening, 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Central. You should already have received the link in your email. We have been having a little bit of trouble with uh, emails being flagged as spam again. I'm in an ongoing conversation with Google about this, but you can find the links there over on the Point North Forum, pointnorthmedia.com slash forum. And if you haven't received your class link and you're registered for that class, get in touch, let me know. I'll make sure that it gets to you one way or the other. So that is today. Um, I'm going to be giving that class this evening. And as I say, if you guys are interested in the Between Worlds class and you haven't registered uh, before the class went live, don't worry, you'll be able to pick up a, uh, a downloadable copy of this six-week class after it is over. So that's going to be the end of February, probably before I get all of those files straightened out and, and get them in a neat downloadable packet that you'll be able to enjoy. So yeah, sometime around the end of February, middle to end of February, you'll be able to download the uh, after the fact version of that class and learn a lot about fairy and folklore. It's been a really great class so far. Two weeks in, uh, it's been a fantastic class. I'm very much looking forward to, uh, to talking about Elizabethan fairy tales this week and then next week getting into into what is, in fact, I think, historically the most important period, right? Getting into that kind of 17th and 18th century codification. You know, we're going to be talking about Charles Perrault, and we're going to be talking about the Brothers Grimm, we're going to be talking about Hans Christian Andersen. All of that's coming up next week, so it's it's pretty great. It's, it's a really fun class, and I'm grateful to everyone who was taking that class along with me. So that is going to be this evening. Then tomorrow, tomorrow afternoon, 3 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Central, we have Dear Mr. Potter 40, which I have entitled Mayhem and Mundanity, where we get a really interesting inversion of expectation within the pages of Harry Potter. We're going to catch up with, this is chapters 9, 10, and 11 of Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. We're going to talk about the Dark Mark, which we didn't get to last time. And then we're going to talk about the, the beginning of the school year, technically, right? That, that's going to be the, the primary focus of the plot is Harry finishing up the summer holidays and going off to Hogwarts, going on the Hogwarts Express, all of the usual things that we do at the beginning of every Harry Potter novel. But in this circumstance, it is going to be rendered in the most mundane and non-magical of terms. A lot of the wonder of Hogwarts has now been drained out, partly by the oppressive presence of the Death Eaters and the Dark Mark, of course, but also just because Harry is getting older. This is his fourth year at Hogwarts, and familiarity has bred a certain amount of contempt for young Harry. So I'm looking forward to discussing that. Of course, this is within the context of the ongoing inversion of our relationship with the wizarding world and the mundane muggle world in the context of Harry Potter. Can't wait to talk about all of that on Thursday. There and back again. Issue for uh, issue 49, episode 49, do excuse me. There and back again, episode 49, The Window on the West, in which we talk about probably not my favorite chapter in the entire book but probably my favorite chapter in The Two Towers. Almost certainly, I think, my favorite chapter in The Two Towers. The Window on the West is a knockout chapter. We're going to spend a lot of time with Faramir. We're going to spend a lot of time thinking about the deepest thematic underpinnings of The Lord of the Rings, basically. Like, this is our, our best opportunity to date to talk about virtue, villainy, 
temptation, heroism, loyalty, fealty, the, the influence of the ring, the influence of the light, the, the window on the west, right? What, what goodness is and the diminishment of that virtue over the many, many millennia that have uh, already passed here in the context of Middle Earth. It's a knockout chapter. I can't wait to talk more about Faramir. He is my favorite, as I've made pretty, pretty clear. And then on Friday, also at 3 p.m. Uh, Eastern, 2 p.m. Central, we're going to have the second session in our Wrinkle in Time book club, which I can't wait for. I ran over time uh, last week talking about a Wrinkle in Time, and it's only going to get more intense. It's only going to get more urgent as we move forward. So for all that these are extremely short readings, it's chapters four, five, and six of A Wrinkle in Time this, uh, this week, which will bring us up to the half point, but this is a short book. So for all that the readings are very short, they are, as you'll know if you've read Madeleine Langle's classic 1962 magical fantasy story, A Wrinkle in Time, they are incredibly dense, incredibly deep. So I'm looking forward to, uh, to progressing through that book and drawing out Less uh, in the first session, we talked a lot about the, um, the the context for the book and the ways in which the book itself is progressive, the ways in which the book itself is unexpected. We're going to do much less of that in the second week. We're going to look at the shape of the story and we're going to get into some of the metaphysics which underpin our understanding of a wrinkle in time. Okay, let me take a quick look. That's actually going to do it for this week. Uh, also, story in Star Wars on Wednesday at the latest, as I say, but uh, that's going to do it for this. Uh, for this session, let me catch up with the chat here. Oh, Ethan's saying, I'm so far behind in tab again. Say hi to Faramir for me. Will do, Ethan. We will definitely, uh, yes, we will definitely uh, pass that on. Um, Valerie's saying, I I'm back in August for there and back in. Last August? Last August? Gosh, where, where were we last August? Middle of fellowship, I suppose, maybe? Just beginning fellowship? Had we? Yeah, I suppose we must have been. Wow, it's it's been a long journey already. As I say, this is episode 49 this week. It would have been lovely if it had lined up such that episode 50 had been The Window in the West and Faramir, and it could have been this special explosive celebration. But yeah, it hasn't quite worked out that way. Um, yeah, uh, Dear Mr. Potter is going to be fantastic too this, this weekend, so I'm really looking forward to that. Um, Shane is saying, I wish I could have registered as the class. Great. Oh, this is for, uh, this is for Between Worlds. Uh, I have choir practice Monday night now. You know, Monday nights are... Scheduling a live class is always so hard, right? Because Monday nights are, as I've proven over the last, I think, seven years of, of giving live classes on the internet, uh, Monday nights are the most consistent night that people are able to make it, but still a lot of people can't make it. And the problem with scheduling a live class of any kind is just we all have such busy lives. We all have such busy schedules, which is tr why I try and make the uh, the downloadable packets for the live classes as engaging as they can possibly be. That's particularly true for the one-shots, I think. But uh, if you head on over to pointnorthmedia.com right now and click the classes button, you'll find my analysis of romance fiction and fantasy fiction and mystery fiction, which was a particularly interesting uh, class. I've also got the critical reading class. There was a four-week critical reading class that I gave, which I really, really love. That's like an intro to the kind of critical discourse that we engage with here at Point North Media. The downloadable version of that is available now, as is the downloadable version of my one-shot class, uh, Watching Our Stories, The History of Television, which was really, really interesting. I know a lot of people who are here in the Crowdcast chat right now made it to that class. That was really fun. So you can head on over and pick up the downloadable versions. In the downloadable versions, you get the video of the lecture itself, like just as you're seeing right now. You get an audio version of the lecture, you get some slides, and you get any attendant notes that that I wanted to accompany it. So uh, yeah, that's that's pretty much where we are right now. And the Between Worlds classes, I say, will be available middle to end of February. I'm having an absolute blast with it. And the, the response from the students in the class has been really, really good too. As I say, we've covered um, the oldest kind of introductions to folklore and fairy. And now we've covered the medieval period too. We talked about Sir Orfeo at great length in great depth last week, which was really fun. And then we kind of glossed Sir Gawain and the Green Knight because I didn't have time to get too deep into it, but that was uh, that was really good. This week, uh, Shakespeare and Spencer. Next week, Perot and Grimm and Hans Christian and
week, we're looking at The Princess and the Goblin by George MacDonald. We're looking at the, the foundations of actual modern fantasy, right? The time at which fantasy novels emerge from the mists of folklore and fairy and kind of are, are codified in that pre-Tolkienian period. And then in the last session, we're looking at the evolution of fairy in the 20th century. So we're going to look at a couple of Disney movies. We're looking at Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs from 1937. And we're going to look at uh, The Little Mermaid, which is really interesting because that's the first fairy tale that Disney engaged with after a hiatus of 25, 30 years. It was a long, long period for which Disney, during which Disney was just not telling fairy tale stories. You know, the thing for which Disney was most renowned at that point, they just weren't telling fairy tales. So they go back to fairy tales in the modern era and kick off the Disney Renaissance that is still continuing to this day. And we're going to look at the book, uh, Neil Gaiman's novel, Coraline, in the context of the shift from outright fantasy, this, this fusion genre of old-style fairy story with modern fantasy that gives us this magical realist uh, novel. I'm really looking forward to talking about all of those. So uh, there's a lot to look forward to if you have already registered. If you haven't already registered, then that class will be available for download at the end of February. That, I think, guys, is going to do it. I need to go and make sure that this terrible wind hasn't you know, blown anything away and that all is still well. I will see you all in the course of the week tonight for Between Worlds. That's at 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Central. Tomorrow, for Dear Mr. Potter, looking at chapters 9, 10, and 11, that is going to be at 3 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Central. On Thursday, 3 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Central, for There and Back Again, chapter 5 of book 4 of The Two Towers, The Window in the West. And then on Friday, 3 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Central, for chapters 4, 5, and 6 of Madeline Langle's A Wrinkle in Time. I will also say that next week, a week on Wednesday, what is that, the 31st? Let me double check that date. Yes, on the 31st, I'm giving my first uh, one-shot lecture for 2018. A one-shot lecture recommended by the wonderful Aaron, who is here in the chat with us, Sosa Sundare here in the chat, wanted me to watch and talk about My Neighbor Totoro, which I'm so excited to do. I love, I love Studio Ghibli in general, but Totoro is a standout. So I'm really looking forward to talking about that. That is going to be next Wednesday, the 31st. And I'm looking to schedule all of the one shots for 2018, like within the next couple of weeks, really, so that we can have a reading list. What I'd like is an interactive reading list over on the uh, Point North website that you can check out. All of that is to say, too, of course, that you should check out the Point North forum, which you can find at pointnorthmedia.com slash forum or visit pointnorthmedia.com and click the forum button in the top right. It's great and is a buzz. And I'm going to go and catch up with all the discussions over there the minute that I'm done with this live session, in fact. Guys, thank you so much for joining me here for the beginning of the week. Thank you so much for your support and your enthusiasm and your insight and your brilliance. I will talk to you all over the course of this next week. If you have any thoughts, any comments, you can email me directly, pointnorthmedia at gmail.com. I'm doing better at managing my uh, horrifying email inbox right now. Or you can find me on Twitter at Point North Media, or of course, over on the forum. You can DM me over on the forum. I didn't really set that up with the intent that that would become a really useful way of, of, of interacting with you all, but there it is. It's actually pretty great. So you can DM me over on the forum. That's pointnorthmedia.com slash forum. I will talk to you all this week. Have a great week. Take care all. Stay warm and just, you know... Be out there in the world. Just, just do good. Do good as you always do. And I will talk to you all again very soon. Take care.